Welcome to Navigating the New Normal, Grant Thornton's podcast exploring trends in business and the marketplace. Today I am joined by Peter Hills, partner and national head of remuneration taxes. Today we're talking about employee share schemes and why this particular employment model could be a win-win for business owners and their employees. So welcome, Peter. Thanks, Therese. Now, Peter, I hear that employee share schemes are becoming a more popular tool to remunerate employees. But let's start with the basics. What exactly is an employee share scheme? Well, I, I simply describe an employee share plan or scheme as the provision of shares or options to an employee for services provided by that employee. And so that difference between providing uh, that non-cash item um, compared to cash uh, salary is probably the main difference. Um, it's, it's interesting though, when we go out into the marketplace, uh, a lot of people don't realise that uh, the employee share scheme tax rules also apply to directors and individual contractors. And what I mean by individual contractors is people contracting uh, as an individual and not through a company or trust. Would you mind giving us an example of an employee share scheme in action? I'll probably answer that in a, uh, what I refer to as trends that have been seen over the last year. When COVID came about in March, April, uh, what we saw is a lot of people wanting to conserve cash. And so instead of providing uh, salary and wages, they provided uh, some type of employee shared scheme. And typically at that stage, um, we saw a lot of companies provide performance rights. It's interesting how the world changes though. You know, at, at the moment, uh, what we're seeing is a lot of uh, companies wanting to list and we're seeing a lot of companies come to us to implement employee share plans for those companies. And through that, we're implementing either option plans or performance rights plan. But then at the same time, what we're also seeing at the moment is the um, so-called startup companies. And with those startup companies, you know, they're wanting to attract people. Um, you know, there's a tight market out there for good people. And so therefore, we're seeing a lot of startup companies implementing employee option plans for their, their people. But you know, I should note, you know, a lot of employee share plans are actually taxable under the uh, employee share plan rules, uh, which treats uh, the gain as centrally salary and wage income, so it's taxable at the employee's marginal tax rates. Alternatively, there's also a number of employee share plans that are designed to be outside those employee share plan rules, or tax rules, I should say. And in those circumstances, those particular plans are, are taxable under the capital gains tax rules. And um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there uh, that know the benefits of the capital gains tax rules so that in certain circumstances, and in particular when you satisfy the 12-month rule, uh, and also holding it as an individual or through a trust, you can access a 50% CGT discount. Now, industrial relations and jobs have certainly been a major theme during COVID-19, so all last year. We've heard plenty about changes to awards and hours being cut and then reinstated, but we haven't heard a lot about employee share schemes. Why is that the case? 
Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, um, and it's interesting that you say that because from from my side, I, you know, living and breathing employee share schemes day in day out. You know, I, I seem to be getting questions constantly through the week uh, on existing plans or, or new plans. Um, I, I suggest that there's certain pockets uh, that employee share schemes are very popular, and there's certain pockets that um, they're not as well known. And you know, I described it in this way. Uh, for listed companies, uh, and especially at the senior management and above level, uh, I, I would suggest that there's probably not a company uh, on the ASX that hasn't got some type of employee share plan. But for listed companies' uh, general population, you know, I suggest that the number of employee share plans for the general population is probably far less. And you know, you know, I sit here and I, I, I question why, um, and I must admit I don't have the answer for that. Um, and um, potentially it could be looked at more often. In the private side, um, the trend has changed. Uh, when I first started doing employee share plans about 20 years ago, the tax rules weren't as friendly. And it's probably fair to say that a lot of private companies in, the, in those days were more orientated towards uh, family groups and transitioning the business through the family. And now we've got um, new tax rules in July of 2015 that are more encouraging for private company, companies. But also at the same time, we seem to have this trend that a lot of companies are, are setting themselves up and through that um, you know, introducing new IP technologies, um, concepts, uh, with the view of exiting uh, at some point, and whether or not it's through an IPO or trade sale, which does lend itself to the employee share concept and implementing an employee share plan for them. Now, you also have a really lovely example that you've shared with me before about a company that you worked with that implemented an employee share scheme when their company share price was quite low. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was December 18, I had this mining company or exploration company come to me and, and at, at that particular point of time, the, the share price was, was 15 cents and we implemented a um, option plan um, and it's so-called premium priced option plan. And um, the share price is now um, $8.20. And so, you know, that's a really good example of value uh, that can be provided to an employee and then through that process, um, giving the employee an uplift in remuneration that uh, they wouldn't have otherwise been able to get through cash salary. I should highlight, you know, um, at the same time, there's these success stories, and um, there's there's many a person that likes to tell you how many times that they've won at the TAB and the like, but they don't necessarily tell you how many times that they've lost. Um, you know, there are a number of examples, and especially when the market was was going the opposite way, where options uh, or the like was provided to employees, and the share price went down, and they did become out of the money, and potentially at no fault of their own. So. It does work both ways. Well, that's a very interesting point that you make there and an important one. Uh, you've mentioned you're getting a lot of queries from existing companies. Why are they in particular interested in this as a future remuneration model? 
You know, I suggest uh, where we're at with the, the labour market at the moment for a number of companies is probably highlighting the reasoning why employees share plans. And, and in particular, how they're designed uh, is becoming more important and prevalent. You know, we, we are tax people uh, and we, we engage with remuneration consultants to essentially assist with the design of the underlying KPIs and the the, um, the goals that need to be put in place to, to drive that behaviour, but then also at the same time to assist in uh, so-called benchmarking, uh, determining the amount of award that should be provided to these employees or directors or management. So we've outlined some really interesting trends that have led up to this point, and obviously there's more than one way you can structure an employee share scheme or an employee share plan. Could you maybe explain a little bit about what a performance right is? Okay. Maybe before I go into that and describe a performance right, I'll just describe why we use performance rights and options and the like. We rarely see companies implement an employee share plan that provides an employee a share up front. We typically see the instrument being used and granted first is either a performance right or the option, and I'm sure you'll ask me the question about the options later. And you know, it, it does depend on a number of factors. So how I describe a performance right is, is simply a new exercise price option. Um, and what I'm meaning by that is that you grant this option to an employee uh, for no cost. And then at the same time, uh, the employee has the ability to exercise this right to acquire a share of the company for no cost as well. And so essentially it's, it's a free share. If you said where do we see it typically, I, I, I see it typically in companies that have got stable growth uh, and high dividend yield. We, we typically see uh, quite stringent performance criteria on them uh, because you're giving something away for free uh, and at the same time you might have some type of time-based um, hurdles on there as well. You know, I, I see it in both the listed and the unlisted marketplace. Um, I do know in the unlisted we, we tend to go towards some so-called ESAS startup options if, if they're available but um, for companies that the ESAS startup options aren't available, we in the private space, we would use uh, the performance rights. Let me give you a quick example. Bear with me for a tick. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're sitting here, we've got a company that's got a share price of a dollar, and we, we, we're saying that in the next two, three years, it, it's growth opportunity, uh, maybe $2 or $3, and so that's a so-called stable growth. So how the the tax rules work for these performance rights is that in the future when the employee exercises uh, and the market value is $2, uh, the employee will be assessed at that point of exercise, typically, and I, just, I do say typically, uh, assessed on that $2 at their ordinary marginal tax rates. And so it does highlight that particular example you know, the person getting a substantial reward, but then also um, it highlights the taxing and, and how the performance rights is taxed. 
Now, Peter, there's also another version of an employee share scheme, and that's called a premium priced option. Uh, how is that different to what we've just been discussing? Yeah, premium price, and maybe I should just highlight premium price is is is, is a concept and a name that um, the industry's probably created, um, and it's 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 simply described as essentially the exercise price being a premium to the market price. Um, but then at the same time, uh, that premium being high enough so that the value at grant uh, is nil. And, and there's a particular reason why you're doing that is um, it's pushing you outside the employee share plan rules and into the capital gains tax rules. And you know, as I've mentioned before, the capital gains tax rules potentially give you that access to the 50% CGT discount. Let, let me go through an example, and, and we'll use the dollar market value to get a nil value under the employee share plan tax rules. You would have to have an exercise price of a dollar 45 or more uh, for a four-year option, um, and so you, you can see the the premium uh, that's been calculated um, and, and how much uh, it has to be priced uh, to be essentially have no value under the tax rules. So you're sitting here uh, comparing it to the performance right, and um, you know with a performance right, the employee is going to get value at all points uh, because you don't have to pay anything for it. But for a premium priced option. They have to essentially have a share price that's greater than $1.45 before they get any value. So let's use that example that we had before. We sell it for $2. Um, the employee makes a $0.55 cent gain um, compared to the example that I said for performance rights. You know, there can be a substantial difference uh, in return because of you know, essentially the, the exercise price. Alternatively, you know, let's, let's look at... Um, if the share price went to $10 and they're able to access the 50% CGT rule because they've held the share for greater than 12 months after exercise. In that example, they would make $8.55 gain and only half of that gain uh, would be assessed. And what will happen is that essentially the tax saving uh, will start to outweigh uh, the cost of essentially buying that share. And knowing the tax outcomes between the performance rights plan and the premium price plan, but then also knowing and having an understanding of potential growth factors can assist the company in deciding which instrument makes sense for their employees. And you know, it helps decide what, what type of instrument that's used. You know, there's a number of other things that need to be taken into account. You know, there's accounting impacts, there's payroll tax impacts and dilution impacts that the companies have to go through in deciding uh, which instrument to use. So both those options sound like they are more for established companies, and there's a lot of work that's clearly going on in the back end to match the instrument to the unique requirements and circumstance of that company. But I also understand there's an, an option or um, another way of doing an employee share scheme, which is the ESS startup concession. Yeah, 
it, it, it's it's become popular, really, really popular uh, for the tech startup market and for companies that are starting up. The best way of describing um, whether or not you're a startup company, and there's a number of tests, um, and I won't go through them, it'll take too long, uh, but the best way to describe it is that essentially um, the company's not listed, but then secondly, the company has been incorporated for less than 10 years. And there's, there's also turnover tests uh, in there as well. If, if you're able to satisfy uh, those tests uh, and others, the, the ability to provide very concessional options or shares to employees under these startup rules is, is attractive. Um, and the reason why I say that is that the rules allow you to essentially push the employee into the capital gains tax rules that I've discussed uh, a few times already, and in particular the 50% CDT concession. Um, but also the rules allow concessional valuation as far as pricing that exercise price. Um, you know, I talked about before that the exercise price had to be at a premium to the market value. Uh, under these startup rules, they, they have to be priced at um, essentially equal to or more than the market value. But then also in certain circumstances, you can use some safe harbour valuation rules that can give a very low exercise price. And so what, what you're seeing is that these startup companies being able to provide a good package of, and we typically provide options to employees that are priced very concessional and are subject to the CDT rules. And in the future, uh, if they're around for that uh, so-called exit event, uh, only having half of that game uh, subject to the CDT rules. So it is very, very attractive. And you know, we're seeing a number of inquiries around these rules. I do highlight one thing. The ATO and the government uh, tried to make these rules simple uh, and provide a number of, of support documents to assist the process of implementing. Interestingly enough, the technicalities and uh, the number of different tests that have to be satisfied are numerous, and so therefore it does require a, a number of things that need to be satisfied before they can be applied correctly. So there were some changes in the uh, May 2021 budget around employee share schemes. Has that helped at all to simplify things or make employee share schemes more attractive or accessible? Um, you would have hoped, uh, and, and the reason why I hesitated in, in how I was going to answer that question, uh, there, there was a number of inquiries that was conducted prior to these recent changes. And unfortunately, they didn't go far enough. So the two changes, and I, you know, I should highlight that um, before I go on any further, the two changes were essentially st stopping the taxation of employees when they cease employment. Uh, and that was uh, in certain types of plans and the so-called tax deferred plans. And then the other one was around the corporation law uh, requirements of providing uh, options and shares to employees. And um, the one that I can advise on is uh, the tax changes. And um, you know what, what we found is that it doesn't apply to 
all plans. You know, we've talked about premium priced option plans and we've talked about ESAS startup plans. That particular change doesn't apply to that. You know, it does apply to the so-called performance rights plan. Um, and, you know, it was in the situation where a person was a good lever and you wanted them to essentially be able to keep those performance rights. And, um, you know, nine times out of ten, uh, you wouldn't allow them to be kept on ceasing employment. You know, the, probably the typical times was uh, when someone was made redundant uh, or alternatively um, retirement or, or some type of good lever uh, provision and you did want them to be able to keep it and it has worked for them. And I, you know, I think that that's a really good outcome. But, you know, it would have been great that we saw some more changes making the rules a little bit more simple and at the moment uh, there's so many different variations. Uh, it, it would have been great that um, maybe they, for example, just made all employee share plans uh, taxable under the CGT rules only and that could have created a completely different um, motivation and incentive for employees if you simplified it that way. Now, you've already mentioned that the government has had a few inquiries. Uh, there was some, uh, the ESS startup concession was introduced in 2015. Uh, obviously, there was mm -hmm. some tinkering just a couple of weeks ago. So, is the government actively encouraging companies to use this as a mechanism? There, there has been this recognition from the government that there should be more employee share plans used um, and you know I, I think that um, it was highlighted again in this latest budget um, even though that these tax changes weren't necessary as far as what we hoped it was highlighted that we need to attract and retain good people in Australia and to do that you need a couple of things in your tool bag uh, to essentially assist with that process and one of them is, is a good designed employee share plan. And so I do believe that the government has got um, some motivation and, you know, I think they'll watch uh, these recent changes um, and you know, it's maybe more around the um, corporation law side and the disclosure requirements that are required to implement an employee share plan just to, to see how that assists with the process of, of increasing the uptake around employee share plans. And finally, Peter, I'll be honest, uh, the way that you kind of describe some of the tests, the requirements that go into being able to uh, set up an employee share scheme, it sounds quite complex. In the end and fundamentally, is it worth the effort? Yeah, good. that's a really good question. Um, I think that the best way that I answer that is the number of inquiries that I get on a, on a weekly basis, I, I suggest that we have about a 90 to 95% take up. Um, and so we go through at a high level what the employee share plans are about. Um, and go through the tax side and um, uh, steer them towards the um, lawyers uh, for the legal side and the REM consultants for the design of the underlying remuneration package. And 
the take-up is still high after we've gone through all that discussion. And I reason to myself, and, and the take-up is high because people are realising they need, you know, as I've said before, something that essentially assists with remunerating employees and motivating, and cash salary is not going to achieve that. So, um, and they persevere. So, I, I, I you know, I, I think that that's the overriding driver, and through that driver, they're going to get a far greater return on that cost than what they would have otherwise done if they hadn't done anything. The IPO market is definitely keeping uh, interest up in this this marketplace at the moment for empl providing employee share planning advice. And you know, as I said before, the marketplace to attract people and retain people in the startup space uh, is it's very prevalent. And I, I do believe that uh, things are trends, and I do believe that people talk at the pub, so to speak, or in so-called investment or support groups, and I suggest that that trend is going to to be be there for a while uh, yet, and if anything, becomes stronger over the coming years. Well, Peter, it sounds like there's a lot of moving pieces that go into making up this as an option, and but clearly a very popular one. Uh, thank you so much for your time and explaining some of the mechanics behind it. Thanks, Therese. And people can find a little bit more information on some of those different options on our website. And Peter, were you happy for people to reach out to you on LinkedIn and email to perhaps discuss employee share schemes and their individual circumstances in more detail? Yes, please do. Um, and you know, obviously also it can be searched up on our uh, Grant Thornton website um, as well. If you liked this podcast and would like to hear more, you can find and subscribe to Grant Thornton Australia on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.